We are once again in the book of Matthew. Uh, if you haven't already been able to tell, we're going to be starting the Lord's Prayer today. Just the first few verses of it. Matthew 6, verses 7 through 10. Uh, last week we saw that we were to not be uh, like the Pharisees as they pray, but now Jesus is going to turn and tell us how we are to pray. Starting in verse 7, and we'll read through verse 10. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is steering us now to the main point and purpose of prayer. The Pharisees, as we have seen, love to pray in public. They love to pray loudly to be seen. But he, he says to the disciple, to the disciple of Christ, your prayer is to be different. You're to pray in secret, as we saw last week. And your prayer is to be a godly prayer. We live in a day where people are not eager to be seen praying. But in Jesus' day, it was a very big thing. And we have to remember that it's not wrong to be seen praying. We talked about this last week. It is wrong to pray in order to be seen. The essence of prayer, then, is a, a private conversation with God. A quiet, secluded place is often best for this. It is there, as we attend to God, that God attends to us. This doesn't make our prayer superior to others, but it makes it more noble, in a way. We don't pray out of religious duty. We pray to come and to meet and to commune with the God of all creation. So as we consider prayer here, as Jesus has put forth for us, first I want us to see three things. First we'll see disingenuous prayer. Second we'll see the benevolent Father. And finally we'll see genuine prayer. So let's begin by looking at disingenuous prayer. This is how Jesus starts. He says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases... As the Gentiles do. Uh, pagans will pray in a number of different ways. Uh, on one hand, you have atheists, and of course, they don't pray at all. Or maybe you have an agnostic who throw up a prayer just in case someone's listening. And you have seen this in any number of uh, different kind of movies where the protagonist is in danger. And he says, if anybody's listening, just get me out of this mess and I'll, I'll serve you, right? So they just kind of throw up a Hail Mary prayer. Many other types of pagans, though, do pray. And part of their prayer is mindless repetition. A tongue wagging, as it were, while the mind sleeps. But this is not limited to pagans. Some Christians do this as well. Have you ever been in a church where every week you say the Lord's Prayer, every week you say the Apostles' Creed, what begins to happen? Your tongue is moving, you're saying the words. But are you thinking about what you're saying? Uh, does prayer in that time become so mechanical 
that you hardly hear what you're saying. Genuine prayer, then, is to be sincere. It's to be thoughtful, not mechanical. The pagans, as they pray, seek to manipulate the gods with many words. They come and they, they say all kinds of things. This is what Jesus says. They will, they will be heard for their many words. They might invoke the name of many deities just in case one of them is listening. They just cover the gamut. They may ask the same request over and over and over again. A great example in, in scripture of this is Elijah at Mount Carmel. He's going up and he's testing the prophets of Baal. And from uh, noon or morning till noon, they shouted, they danced, they cut themselves. And over and over and over again, they prayed to Baal. And Elijah taunted them, is your God sleeping? Maybe he's taking a nap. And some people view God this way. They think God is too busy to hear our prayers, to hear every prayer. So they act like the pagans do, and they repeat them over and over again. And Jesus says, you're not to do this. They think that God's too busy for them. But the problem in prayer is not that God is too busy for us. It's that we're too busy for God. He does not remove himself from us. We remove ourselves from him. We must reject then this idea that our prayers must be good enough to be heard by God. God is kind. He's compassionate. compassionate, And he longs to listen to all that we pray. Uh, so we can't rely on fervor or sincerity or technique to gain the favor of God's ear. This type of performance prayer does not seek God at all. It, in many cases, attempts to manipulate God. So then when, then, does God answer prayer? God, or why then, excuse me, not when, why then does God answer prayer? Well, God answers prayer because he's merciful. Because he loves us. As we come into prayer, we must understand that true prayer seeks to commune with God. Not just, just extract benefits from Him. True prayer rests in, his, in God's generosity. Not in our own efforts to gain rewards from Him. True prayer waits on God's wisdom. Not on our own efforts to discern what we need. True prayer. Trust God. And find its confidence in Him. True prayer is a confident prayer. We can pray with confidence if we know that our success in prayer doesn't depend on what we say. We don't have to worry about our words of empty phrases just so we can be heard. We should be confident that our Lord is good. That He gives us good things. No, He does not always give us what He wants what we want, but he always gives us what we need. He is not a foolish God. He will not give us something just because we ask for it. He is not ignorant. He is not cruel. He knows what we need, and he loves us. Even when we don't know what to pray, we know that the Spirit 
intercedes for us. Romans 8 and verse 26 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. One of the things we have to learn is that as we go to God in prayer, we can simply come and say, Lord, I do not know what to pray. And the Spirit intercedes for us. He groans for us in, word, in ways that are too deep for words. We can pray, God, you know my heart. You know what I ought to say, even when I don't know what to say. So we have to come and we have to ask ourselves, what is our goal in prayer? Do we seek to meet the God of the universe? Do we come to seek and meet the God of creation? Or do we come to God like a genie in a lamp or a magic eight ball and we shake it up? Can I have this? Ask again later. Is that how we treat God? We must not be like the pagans. We must come to him, not just for our needs, but we must come and meet him to be in relationship with him. By the way, that magic eight ball thing was a lot funnier than y'all gave credit for. I'm just saying. So we see the, 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 uh, well, I forgot my first point already. Uh, we see the disingenuous prayer, but now I want us to see the, the benevolent father. Jesus now says, this is the pattern of true, fair, true prayer. He says, don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. So pray like this, our Father, our Father. We see on, on the onset of the Lord's Prayer that it's a familial prayer, that we come to Him not as uh, a Lord, which we cert he certainly is. We don't come to his ma as master, which he certainly is. We, we don't even come and say, our king of the universe. No, we come and we say, our father. Jesus addressed him this way, and this offended many, many Jews. They held God in such awe that they didn't even say his name in fear of misusing it. And this is not something that's so uncommon for us. Whether you like or dislike the president, if he was in this room, you would address him as Mr. President. The office in itself commands respect. And so even if we don't agree or even respect the person, we respect the office. So if this is the case then, we have before us the creator God of, of the universe that he spoke and all things came. Surely this one demands respect. But Jesus comes and teaches us, you, yes, have a great and powerful God, but you have a personal God. He is your father. Nothing should shape our prayer more than this address that we come to him as we come to our father. Not as a tyrant, not as a lord, not as a king, but as a father. This fatherly nature connects our prayers to the gospel. Many come to God and feel unworthy to pray. God's presence frightens them due to their sin, and we all have sins 
that we do over and over and over again, and we recoil at the, the idea of God's forgiveness. I've done this so many times. How can he still forgive me? And in doing this, we project our own impatience on God. Jesus comes. And yes, he's teaching us, but he's more than a teacher. He comes and says, and he saves us from our sin. He teaches, that, teaches us that we're to call him Father. Even sinful human parents know how to comfort and forgive their children. How much more will our Father in heaven comfort and forgive us as we come to him? As we come to the Father, we experience the gospel that even though we are sinners, even as we continue to sin, we receive grace. So much so that we can call the God of the universe Father. Even as we sin, He loves us. He sent His Son knowing that we were sinful. He knows all the sins that we had before we came to the faith. And he knew all the sins that we would commit after coming to the faith. And yet his love exceeds all humans' love. We all have fathers. Some have been good, some have been bad. But from the best to the worst of them, they were none of them perfect. He comes to us and he says, I know you struggle. I know you struggle with pride with gossip, with doubt, with commandment breaking. And even so, come to me. Put your burden at my feet. I think we all know that the church is a society of sinners and weaklings. So why should we come and hide our struggle? We should come to our Father. We should bow before Him and say, Our oh, who art in heaven, come and help me. And we see a few other things here that this is a corporate prayer. It's not my father, but our father, our father who art in heaven. We belong to a larger family that is greater than just ourselves. But true prayer is also transcendent. We pray to our father who is in heaven. He is both near to us as, as Father, but He is far from us because He is in heaven. Do you see God as your Father? We must seek to know our Father more. We must come to Him in relationship. Even as we fight against Him, He loves us. He loves us with a great love. And He says, come before me, son, daughter. So we see the great Father, but now let us look at genuine prayer. As we come to the Father, we are to say this, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This is telling us that we should always strive to use the name of God correctly. Prayer should bring us to the Creator, to the Redeemer, to the Sovereign Lord. We honor His name when we pray sincerely. Not as ritual or incantation as the pagans do. We honor God by praising Him warmly, warmly by discussing His ways reverently. 
We honor His name with godly conduct. I ask you, are you worthy of a Christian bumper sticker? Are you worthy of a Christian bumper sticker? When people drive, do they look at that person and go, I see they're Christian, look how they're driving. Are you honoring God's name? Are you worthy to wear a cross necklace? Do you hollow God with your actions, with what you do, with your conduct? We must understand we're not praying to make his name holy. His name is already holy. We're praying that his name is revered in all the earth. Hallowed be your name is a large petition. I don't know if you've ever really stopped to think about it. We're praying, in essence, that our lives will cause others to bless the name of God. And the first obstacle to this is always unbelief. Mature Christians get full of themselves and they think they've got it mastered, so they stop. They think they don't need to focus on him anymore. Others make prayer a discipline. I have to do this at this time every day. So prayer becomes a ritual. And you've heard people say, if I miss my prayer time, I have a bad day. And in, in doing this, I mean, it's somewhat understandable, but we miss the point of prayer. It's not to have a good day. It's to come and to meet God. We're to hollow his name. But we're also to want his kingdom to come. God's name is honored. God's name is hollowed when his rule is more evident. What we see here is an evangelistic prayer. Your kingdom come, that the church will grow in size and influence, that Christians will grow in maturity, that every sphere of life would be touched and affected by the kingdom of God. But this is not only a prayer uh, an evangelistic prayer, but it's also an eschatological prayer. It's, it's a prayer for Christ to return. It is the restoration of all things that His kingdom will come in its perfect form. It's saying, God, come and reign in our lives. Do we long to see the kingdom of God come? Do we, when we pray, say, Lord, come and come quickly? But we also pray for his will to be done. We are both uh, in this prayer asking to know God's will, but we're also asking for the strength to do God's will. As we consider the will of God, we must understand that there are two facets to his will. First, there is his moral will or his precepts. This is God's revealed will. This is principles and rules for holy living. Do you, are you, have you ever wondered, God, how do you want me to live? Well, he gives us a manual. This is how I want you to live. This is his revealed will to us. We think of the Ten Commandments. Are thou shalls and are thou shalt nots. But there's also his will for history or his decrees, his eternal counsel and plan for the unfolding of human and redemptive history. And we should long for both of these things. One we know, we know his moral will, his precepts, 
Well, we don't always know his decrees, his, his will for history. But as we pray, we pray that his will would be done perfectly, that his will in us would be done perfectly, both that which he has revealed to us and that which is not revealed to us. We pray that our will looks more like his will. But we also pray that his will would come to its fulfillment. Again, this is a prayer looking to the future. That all the earth would be, that be conformed to his image. We commit ourselves to his will, to his goals. Are you hollowing the name of God in all that you do? We have to remember that we are God's representatives on this earth. Do your actions reflect the faith that you claim? Do your actions reflect the faith that you claim? I think this is a question that we don't largely like. Because it means that we have to think how we're acting, not one or two days a week, but all the week long. It means we have to consider how are we going to respond when someone justifiably wrongs us, when we're right, he's wronged me. Or how are we going to respond when we're just angry? Are we hollowing the name of God? Do your actions reflect your faith? Do you long to see the kingdom of God come? Do you pray, Lord, come and come quickly? Do you pray that you may see him fully? Or are you so caught up in this world that you have no anticipation for eternity? Do you long for the kingdom of God? Far too often, I believe that we don't. We're living for the now. We're living for the moment. We're living for the next goal, the next thing. And we lose sight of what's important. As you live for your job, for your family, and these are not bad things. Don't hear me say these are bad things. But when these are the focal point of your life, then you miss the greater picture. It affects how you live as a citizen in the kingdom. If job is most important, then job will always take precedent. Job will take precedent over evangelism, over telling people about Jesus. Because we get scared, don't we? If I proclaim my faith, then I may not get this raise. I may not get this pr promotion. And we don't live for eternity. We live for the moment. We, we don't tell other people about him. To see his kingdom come, we must be evangelistic. We must tell others about the good news that is in us. When we fail to do this, we fail to see his kingdom come. And we all have excuses. All of us, myself included. I don't have time for this. How will they think about me if I tell them I'm a Christian? I'm not skilled enough to tell people about Jesus. I'm not equipped enough. And yet all we're called to do is proclaim the gospel, the truth that has been given to us. Training is great. And all these other things are great. But we cannot allow them to be excuses for us. 
We cannot allow fear to keep us from seeing the kingdom of God come. Do you truly want God's will in your life? Do you want his revealed will in your life? We've already stated that this is the very word of God. Are you in the word? Do you know what God has for your life? Do you love the word? Do you study the word? Do you make time for the word? Do you know how you have a better relationship with your father who is in heaven? It's through prayer. It's through the word. And you probably heard, on, heard me harp on this a lot lately if you've come on Sunday or Wednesday. But the word of God is important. We must make time for it. It is in the word that we're in relationship with our God, with our Father. He tells us this is what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. This is what it means to be a son, to be a daughter. We cannot neglect, we cannot avoid being in the word. We must be studiers of the word. We must be lovers of the word. Do you long for his revealed will? But also do you long for his decreed will? Are you resting fully in God's plan for history? Are you resting fully in God's plan for history? On one level, we can consider this question and, and keep it very distant from us and say, yes, we can look at history in very broad strokes and we can say, I'm, okay, history, I get it. God's plan, I'm good. But God's plan for history, God's decreed will is God's plan for you. When he blesses you and gives you many good things, when you get sick, when loved ones get sick, when loved, one, loved ones die, when things that are happening around us that we cannot fully grasp or understand, are you resting fully in the will of God? Do you say, God, your will be done. Not my will, not what I want, not what I long for, not what I would see fit to do. But would your will be done even when I don't like it, even when it hurts, even when I cannot see why this would be going on? We think of Job and how hard it would be if you were experiencing the things Job experienced to say this prayer. I've lost my, my children. I've lost my wealth. I've lost everything. Or you think of Jesus. Jesus who knew the road he was on. He knew where he was heading. He knew that he would be going to the cross. And yet he says anyway, your will be done, not my will. Even as he prays, if you can take this cup from me, the wrath that you will pour out upon me, this cup that I will have to drink to the very dregs. If you can take this from me, please take it. But not your will, not my will. But your will be done. Do we trust that God is good? 
that God is faithful in all things, even the things we don't fully understand. This is what it means to see the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. In essence, we're praying that the heavens, that, that the earth would look just like the heavens. This section ends here with the longing for heaven to come to earth, for Christ to come again, to make all things perfect. This is the prayer that we are to long for, that earth would look like heaven, knowing that this only happens at Christ's return. We have seen three things. We've seen disingenuous prayer. We've seen the benevolent Father, and we've seen genuine prayer. Next week, we're going to look at the second half of the Lord's Prayer, and we begin to see that it shifts from God, and it moves to us. But we must remember, in both of these, that we are all called to pray. It's not something that any of us can avoid. We cannot continue to flee from our prayer life. But as we come, we don't pray as the pagans do, not with empty words. We come to a benevolent Father. No, He will not give you everything He wants, but He will give you everything you need. And He bids you, come. Even when we're His enemies, He says, come. And we must come and bring Him genuine prayer. We are to long for His name to be hallowed. We are to long for His kingdom. We are to long... For his will to be done in this earth. And this is not easy. If you've never stopped to consider the Lord's Prayer, it is not easy what he's asking us to do. But we only get better through doing it. We must be praying. Brothers and sisters, sisters, let us daily come. Let us come to him in personal, private, and public prayer. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the fact that you have given to us your word, that you have given to us your revealed will. Lord, would you give and put in us a desire to have closer relationship with you? Would you guide us and strengthen us and mold us and shape us to the image of your Son, we pray. In Jesus' most holy name. Amen.